Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. Cheryl Tan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. You have become a Key West uh, fixture. (laughs) How long have you been coming to Key West and how did you discover us? Well, I've been coming to Key West since the late 90s. Um, I love islands. I love island culture. culture. I grew up on an island, much like Key West. Um, And so I was very drawn to it um, the moment I moved to the States uh, almost more than 20 years ago. But it wasn't until I was offered a uh, residency at the studios of Key West in 2013 that I really got to know the islands much better. I spent a month living on Ash Street and I got to know so many wonderful people and people I admire a great deal Judy Bloom, Phyllis Rose, John Martini, um, and all these people really taught me a lot about what it's like to be an artist, a working artist, and just observing them, how they live their lives, how they work, um, has always been very inspiring for me. So I love coming back to Key West because it's a place that really inspires me. The people, the place, um, the smells, the trees, everything is just amazing. I think you know more people than I do, and I've been here for years, so um, we love having you here. We love that. Um, uh, now, Anonymous Sex, that's the latest, uh, it's an anthology. Uh, can you just tell us all about this? This has come out and it has made an impact. It's critically acclaimed. People are loving this. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, this was a book that's, it's an anthology of literary fiction about sex. Uh, a few, uh, seven, about seven or eight years ago, uh, my a co- the co-creator and co-editor of this book, Hillary Jordan, and I were sitting in a French bistro talking about how much we love to read stories about sex. And uh, we were talking about some of our favorite contemporary writers. And we wondered, you know, where are the writers today, like Anais Nin, um, D.H. Lawrence, who are writing beautiful fiction, but sex focused. And we thought, okay, well, wouldn't it be great if we created an anthology where we invited some of the best writers in the world right now, people at the top of their game, uh, to write a story about sex. Um, but how would we get them to, to say yes to something so perhaps a little bit zany? And uh, we thought, well, what if we have their stories? We obviously list who's in the book, but we don't say who wrote which story. So readers will have to guess. And that's why the book is called Anonymous Sex. Now, there's a couple of stories I, I kind of need to know the authors. Can you tell me when we get off the podcast? <laughs> well, we all had to sign a contract with Scribner, our publisher. Oh. That we, yeah, we, we can't reveal who, uh, which is our story for 18 months. So after 18 months, you, you could ask me and I could tell you, but, uh, <laughs> but I think even after 18 months, a lot of the, the authors in the book, they love the idea of it so much. And this kind of little bubble that, that it was in, one of our writers started calling it the good ship anonymous, HMS anonymous sex. <laughs> and it kind of felt like, you know, we were all in this boat together going on this adventure. And uh, I think uh, I think some of them, several of them might not want to give up that anonymity, not because they're hiding, but, you know, because it's, it's just a, it's, it's just fun to have a little secret amongst us. I can, I can understand. I can understand. And was it something, I mean, you're a writer, you've been writing a long time, you know, a ton of writers. Why is sex so difficult for a lot of people to write about? I remember being in a workshop and someone read his story and everyone kind of went, oh, this is hard to write the poor guy. But I mean, <laughs> what, what is it? Are we, are we just, um, is it too personal? 
or is it uh, too difficult to express it? I think, you know, it's probably something different for each writer. Um, some of some of uh, the writers that we uh, we approached and who said no said you know I just I just I sort of cringe when I have to write sex scenes in my books um, and one writer said you know you, you I'm doing you a favor by saying no to you because my I write sex so badly my editor makes me take them out of my novels and um, so I don't know what it is but you know we're lucky that we got um, you know we have 27 stories in the book uh, my co-editor and I each have one in it and uh, so we got 25 writers who 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 many of them had not really written about sex explicitly before and mm -hmm. they just really love the chance to kind of do it and have and they really had fun with it and it's beautiful writing about sex um you know we have a, a writer jason reynolds he's primarily a children's author and so he really doesn't have any sex in his book so so this was really this was really fun to see people who are really known for something else really sort of branch out and do something really different and fun now um, one of the, you know a lot about food. You've written about food. Your Instagram is amazing, by the way. I don't know how you take photographs of food that actually look great. A lot of <laughs> uh, thank you. That's a big compliment because I, if you, if you manage to scroll back several years, you'll see that I really was terrible at it when I first started out. Um, I, I love, I love to eat, um, and so you know, I, 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 I have now photographed everything I've eaten for like the last however many years, eight years, um, and and I put a lot of it on Instagram because I, I don't know, it's just a, it's, I love that it's photo focused, um, and so if you follow me, I'm at Cheryl Tan eighty eight, um, and I just I just love giving food recommendations. I love telling my friends what to eat, what not to eat, because um, I think it's terrible when you have a bad meal. Um, you know, I come from Singapore, a culture of really great food, and it always annoys me when people go to Singapore and have anything less than a stellar meal because um you know it's, it's like you should you should eat, every meal should be fantastic if possible I agree I agree uh and uh, can you talk about how growing up in Singapore shaped your shaped you and and of course your writing and what memories do you have uh today well you know Singapore a lot of people know Singapore for for uh for being very strict um, and uh, and a lot of rules, a lot of laws, um, and that largely is true. But Singapore is also a very um, fascinating place for me. It's it's a very multicultural. Um, you know, it's it's a mix of like Chinese, Indian, uh, Malay, and also Eurasian cultures. Um, and so I I loved growing up there because it was while it is very strict, there was also a lot of acceptance and and tolerance. Um, something I didn't really realize until I moved to the states. Uh, I mean, I grew up celebrating everybody's holidays, you know, the Muslim mm -hmm. holidays, the Hindu holidays, um, my Chinese New Year, my Indian and Malay friends would come over for, for you know, for, uh, for meals and we would all celebrate Christmas together. And so I didn't realize how unique perhaps that that was until I moved here and I realized that that's not necessarily the case here. Um, and uh, so I just, I love growing up there and I love writing about Singapore. Almost all my books are set there. Um, because I, I I miss it a lot, and it's, it's also why I love writing in Key West because Key West reminds me of Singapore a lot. It's an island. It's very hot all the time. In Singapore, it's pretty much ninety degrees degrees all year round, and um, and you know the trees, the flowers, everything looks kind of this, it, it looks a lot like Singapore. So I find it very. Um, easy to write in Key West. And I love writing in Key West because I wake up and I feel like I'm in Singapore, um, even though I'm not. And uh, so the runway into my books is much shorter than when I'm in New York and it's 20 to 23 degrees and snowing outside.
<laughs> and and um, now, what about Key West dining? Um, I'm sure you you uh, visited a lot of restaurants and places. Can you talk about some of your favorite meals? And um, it's okay yeah. to name names. Yeah. There's so many places I love in Key West. Um, I love Manja Manja. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, the creamy marinara pasta. I love that so much. Um, and I, you know, there's so much great seafood there. I love um, Bo Fish, Bo's, is it Bo's Fish Wagon? Uh, I love Little Pearl. Yeah. Uh, and you have such great pizza there too. Um, you know, Onlywood Pizzeria is one of my favorite places. Um, and, you know, I feel like um, it's it's amazing that the, it's amazing how uh, sort of the, the the cuisines that you have there and and some places you know I I'm always very um, I'm always very leery of going to uh, an Asian restaurant a place where there's not a big Asian population um, but you know the the China Garden that you have uh, right across from Fausto's um, it actually has a secret menu um, because I, I went in there one day and um, I greeted the the person behind the counter this woman behind the counter in Mandarin. And I reached for the menu and she practically swatted it out of my hand. She just grabbed it and she was like, no, 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 no that's not for you. And she pulled out another menu from behind the counter and it was all entirely in, in Chinese. And she said, no, this one's for you. Like, you know, you, you, you won't, you won't like the other food. You'll like this one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. Okay. So, um, you know, so I was, I had a good meal there and they were really lovely. That's great. That's great. And you visited, um, you, it looks like, you, it sounds like you went to all types of different restaurants, not just fancy, like B.O.'s Fish Wagon is great, but but it's not a fancy place. And so that doesn't, it doesn't have to be tablecloths for you. No, absolutely not. Um, in fact, when I, I just, I was just in Key West a few weeks ago, and when I landed, the first place I was craving was uh, the Pepper Pot. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that place so much. Um, the food is so fantastic. And I love the teas that they make. The, and, and it's just it's just a wonderful place. I, I would eat there every day if I could. Um, yeah, I know, it's true. <laughs> um, they make, I love their rotis with like uh, the curry chicken um, and also the, the jerk chicken sandwich. Um, everything there is fantastic. I've, not, I've never had a bad meal there. I also love the creperie uh, that you have there. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think they do a really, really great job with crepes. That's that's great. You you've been everywhere, Cheryl. How do you have all this energy? Can you bottle it? <laughs> uh, well, I I don't know if I have that much energy, but uh, you know, I I love and I I love the idea of um sort of having a maximum life every day, you know. And so you know, if I'm someplace like Key West, a place I really love, like I want every day to be just magical and like amazing and like have one memorable thing happen every day whether it's you know a great cup of coffee or you know a great chat with a friend by the beach or something so um yeah if i have one of those things every day i'm i'm happy now one thing you did recently at the studios of key west you taught a writing class and um and so did hillary and can you talk about um teaching memoir writing i mean you know I love memoirs. I think I think that's my favorite type of, of book. But how do you teach something like that and, and uh, actually help people? Um, do people need to have a raw talent or is can anyone kind of make it happen? Well, I believe anyone can do it because I feel like if I if I could do it and really anyone can do it. Um, but, you know, I at first when I've, I've been teaching for several years now and when I first started doing this, I worried that I wouldn't be good at it because I I never really learned creative writing. Um, I've taken one creative writing class my in my entire life. And um, 
so I wasn't quite sure if I would know how to teach it. But then I realized that, um, you know, I've done it. I've been doing it for so many years now that the best way to teach it is to teach by example. So I just basically, like with a memoir class, I, I walk people through how I approached writing my memoir, the research that went into it, how I put it together, how I structured it, um, how the narrative came out, and then also just basic things that I've, I've writing techniques that I've, I've used myself over the years. Um, you know, like I, I often like to read my writing aloud as I'm, as I'm working or after, because if it doesn't sound right, um, you're going to know right away that it, that sentence doesn't quite work or the sentence is too long or something like that. Um, and so just little tips like that. Um, and it was the, the workshop I did at the studios of Key West was on how to write a um, memoir proposal, a nonfiction proposal. And those are very specific. I think a lot of people don't, know that you can with a novel unless you're super famous you have to write the whole novel before selling it but with a memoir or nonfiction, you can sell it on 50 pages um it's, it's it's a proposal but it's a very specific structure so it was it was lovely to to have that workshop and kind of i i feel like when i um sold my first memoir proposal um i was given sort of the the keys to the kingdom in a way so i love sharing that that knowledge now okay like here's how it works like the first section has to read like this you've got to have like chapter summaries and da 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 and so um so yeah it was lovely to come and hear everyone's ideas for what they want their books to be and also to help them along the way now when you wrote your memoir uh what what was um did, did you show it to your family or friends or say hey uh, you know, okay, I need some help. Are you just like, I, I need to do this, you know, it needs to come from me directly. Um, I didn't show it to any of my family until the book was done. Um, and this was funny because my first book was, um, it was called The Tiger in the Kitchen. And it was about a year that I spent traveling to Singapore uh, to learn about my family, primarily the women in my family by learning how to cook. Uh, and these were women who had always wanted to teach me how to cook when I was a kid, but I was always like, no, you know, I don't want to be part of the generation of women where, you know, I have to learn how to cook in order to be a good wife or a good, you know, member of the family. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read books. I'm going to if hopefully eventually write books. I'm going to have a career. So I stayed out of the kitchen. Um, and then I finally went back into the kitchen. I was in my thirties when I did this year of cooking in Singapore and I begged them to let me into the kitchen. And they were like, Oh, now you want to learn how to be a woman. Um, and so, so it was, a, it was a lot of fun and it was a very personal story because it was really about, you know, the generations, the women in my family who were really the strong women, the strong people in the family who held the family together, even as the men fell apart and lost all the family money, etc. So there were, there was some sort of like airing of dirty laundry, which probably, which didn't quite sit well with some of my family members until I told them, you know, you can't celebrate the highs unless you know the lows. So I wanted to show them the, for the year that I was there, they knew that I was doing research for the book. Um, but, you know, it wasn't, I didn't show them the book until it was completely done. And I said, listen, you know, there's some stuff in here you probably don't really want people to read about. But, you know, it's all, it's a story told with love. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a happy story in the end because the women are so strong, they kept the family together. And they really understood that. And it was wonderful. Um, the funny thing is, 
some of my family members, um, to them, the idea of writing a book is like so strange. They don't, you know, that, that they kept thinking that I was trying to open a restaurant. And so even when the book came out and they came to my book launch in Singapore, my aunties, some, one aunt was like, okay, well, this is very nice, but okay, now when are you opening a restaurant? <laughs> so I think some of them are still waiting for me to open a restaurant. Well, I don't blame them. I think you should. And I think <laughs> that uh, that would be something. I can't imagine, I mean, you're born and raised in Singapore and then you cross the ocean, you're 18 to go to college, um, uh, Northwestern, correct? Yes. And, and what is that like? I, I, you know, what, um, who, who did you first meet or how did you make friends? Yeah, it was, it was strange because it was, this was in 1993 and this was before I was part of, I was in the first Northwestern class to get email. Uh, that's how that's how you know different it was at the time and so but it didn't matter that I had email because nobody I knew in Singapore had email <laughs> my parents didn't have email so I could email no one at home um, and calls for home were 73 cents a minute I remember and I, I would just sort of be like oh god like you know so once a week I would make a phone call and I really miss my family I'm very close to them and so it was very uh, it was very difficult because also because of the weather um, you know, Singapore weather is like Key West weather. And all of a sudden I'm in Chicago and there was like one day when the wind chill was minus 70 and it was ridiculous wow. amount of snow. It was crazy. And so I really missed home a lot. And I think that in, in some way that made me um, more Singaporean um, because I, I realized it was sort of like when you're suddenly not, when you're suddenly the only fish in a different pond, uh, of your kind in different pond, you realize how different you are from everyone else. And so I think that's part of the reason I write so much about Singapore now and my books are set there um, because I've spent sort of, you know, 20 something years now uh, missing Singapore and feeling very acutely Singaporean and wanting to tell Singapore stories and explain my country to, to people who don't know it very well. Um, and um, so I think that's what really drives my work, my literature. It's uh, it's, it's it's about telling the, the telling people about the Singapore that I know. Now, you're also a journalist um, in addition to, you know, fiction and memoir. And, uh, you, you were a staff writer at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, you've written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, but you, you started out in Baltimore, correct? On the cops beat? Yes, I did. Um, I was a general assignment reporter, but on, on Sunday, I worked the Sunday cops beat. And um, it was, you know, it was back you know, back when you know, crime was really bad in Baltimore. And I remember I would show up at eight in the morning on a Sunday and make my rounds of calls to the stations and the cops would be like, well, where do you want to start? You know, we had four deaths last night, four homicides last night. And, you know, it, in a way, I mean, it's tragic, but, um, but, you know, as a young reporter starting out, it was amazing. I mean, I, I had to say it was amazing, but it really was because there were just such interesting stories to tell, such pathos in that city and such tragedy on a daily basis um, and that you know really needed to be reported on. And um, so there, it was never a dull moment. Um, I learned about writing fast, uh, writing accurately, about asking the right questions, um, asking the good questions. And, um, and you know, all of that really um, helped my, my book writing later on because um, you, know, you learn a lot about discipline, you learn a lot about just sort of getting things right and um, you know, painting the correct picture. You know, you, we, we, now it's, um, you know, with, with books, it's just words. Words have to take you places. They have to you know, take, put you in the room. Um, and so 
for years, you know, as a newspaper reporter, you know, it just taught me uh, to observe, you know, what does something smell like? What does something feel like? What does something look like? Um, so you can put the reader right in the room and, um, and have them in the story, like right away. And I, I totally relate, especially I covered crime, uh, criminal courts and, and um, police beat in New Orleans for 10 years. And I, I, wow. I, I don't know if I'm going to use the right words. I, it, it was amazing. And it, it taught me so much about, you know, people and life and death and people that um, are on that line or struggle. And, and, uh, and it, it just was amazing. And it really informed my perspective as a writer so that I, you know, yeah, and now I can imagine. Now I want to go read all your stories. Um, I yeah, I, I, I love your. <laughs> but um, do you? When you were at the Wall Street Journal, you were. What were you writing about? Was it fashion? Yeah, so I I went from uh, covering uh, hard news to the features department at the Baltimore Sun, uh, mainly because I wanted to write more, longer narratives. Mm -hmm. um, but they said, okay, look, well, we can move you, but you know the, the job we have open is fashion writer, and I I was like, fashion? I don't know anything about fashion. And um, but you know, I'm a I'm a journalist. I'll figure it out. So mm -hmm. I went out and bought every single fashion magazine I could find, and I just read them. And I'd never really read Vogue or anything like that before. So I was like, you know, I was too busy sort of just sort of playing you know, soccer with my my friends and like, you know, in the, in the playground uh, when I was a kid. Um, and so I so I bought every fashion magazine, read them all. And I thought, all right, I'll just approach it the way I approach any story. Um, and it was it was lovely. I thought that I wouldn't like it very much after you know doing like the the hard news but um but you know fashion is a fascinating world because there's such characters you know everything is a circus um and you know th things are everything is feels there's constant drama and 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 small and large levels that i was never bored covering fashion so i eventually did that at also at InStyle magazine and then i went to the wall street journal where i covered fashion and retail um and then while i was there I wrote my I wrote one food story that ended up becoming uh, my book because an, a book editor called me and said let's turn this into a book. So every I feel like everything you can plan your life you can you can do a lot of things but sometimes things just sort of happen very serendipitously and I always tell people um, you know just just follow what you feel follow your gut follow what what you feel is the right thing for you to do at that moment and and do it because you never know what will happen. That's exactly how the food story um, came about. I had been covering fashion for so many years and I joke now, but it's kind of true that I was sort of like tired of being around people who actively avoided eating. And, uh, and so I thought a lot about, made me think a lot about the food that I grew up with, my grandmother's food. And I wrote this sort of essay about missing my grandmother's food. And that's literally how my book came about. So um, I say, you know, do the thing that your gut tells you to do. I think that's great. For the record, fashion, sounds like a difficult industry to cover you talk about tragedy and victory <laughs> no, i couldn't do it <laughs> yeah i i i also you know i have on my website and it's kind of a joke but it's kind of not too um you know uh covering cops in Baltimore and covering the fashion industry, both kind of the same thing because both are war zones in a way. <laughs> but the difference is people dress differently. Um, and uh, I found that to be kind of the case, um, but you know, it's, it, was, uh, it, was, it was interesting. There was always something interesting to write about. And I think as long as that happens, I'm, I'm happy covering anything. That's great. Cheryl Tan, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I, I know you're, you're a super busy person, by the way. Do you know that? 
I feel like you're super busy. Um, I know. So thank you so much for fitting me in. It's such an honor to be chatting with you. And congratulations on, uh, on the new home for your podcast. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I will see you soon um, in Key West. I hope so. Take care. Kevin Assam, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's great to be here for your first, your inaugural, hmm, not inaugural, your premiere episode for your new podcast. It is, and it's super exciting. And uh, I really uh, am very grateful that you uh, came on the first show, um, coming after Cheryl Tan. She, she, uh, I talked to her first. and uh, Yeah, she is infinitely more famous. That is the correct that is the appropriate lineup (laughs) a little bit but uh let me uh just start by congratulating you you have a show debuting at the studios of qs april 7th that's a thursday everyone it is called your name might come up that is correct um and the the premise is that I've taken some of the most outrageous things I've overheard in Key West and turned them into beautifully hideous canvas works of art so it's it's quite literal in many instances you will see the expression incorporated um onto the canvas and these are people locals people we uh we know people people who are out and about um, yep per- people who are out and about or, or people who for better or worse ventured out just that one time and i caught them saying <laughs> something ridiculous and so each piece is named after somebody who um you know, is definitely a local personality. This is so exciting. When did you um, create this concept? Or I mean, you're, you're someone, you socialize a lot, you know a ton of people, you're a writer, you're an artist. How did you think this, when did it hit you that, hey, this is what I'm going to do for the show? Well, ever since I got to Key West, I always had this idea for like a coffee table style book that would just be filled with, you know, the really funny things that come out of people's mouth. And um, like many other people my age, last year during COVID, I was really drowning in my 20s. And I saw the um, open call for proposals by the studios of QS, which they do annually. And, you know, sort of like the very misguided sense of youth kicked in. And I thought to myself, well, I mean, I can make art like Gabby, why not? So um, my own pigheadedness uh motivated me to submit my proposal to the studios and um and at the time it it actually was called something entirely different um because as I've collected more ridiculous catchisms over the past 12 months it's the you know the show's taken on um a much more colorful direction and so we decided we're like let's get rid of the old name and let's just call it your name might come up since there is a chance people of Key West (laughs) You're going to see your name at this show during April. Now, you, your work, very bold colors, almost neon. It reminds me of neon signs. Like, I love it. I love the, the, the colors. Are, you, you can't ignore that. It, it, like, really grabs your attention. Um, is, that, is that on purpose or you just like? Yeah, definitely. I, I like, 
I'm not sure if I technically like to have these things around me, but I take great joy in creating what I call like, you know, ugly beautiful, which is like, it's it's a little grunge. It's a little late 90s vibe. It's like, you know, the last thing you want to see on the, in a good way, but it's the last thing you want to see right before you crash after an amazing night out. It's just, it's, it's head turning. And um, you may not like it, but I'm going to give you neck pain with those head turns. You, you are. And I don't know, you know, all artists do not like being compared to other artists. But I guess when I see it, I, I'm thinking of uh, may, maybe even Keith Haring, but I'm sure people have thrown the Warhol reference at you. Um, Definitely. And, in you know, in Key West, that might, that sound really nice, but there are thousands and thousands of people who are, doing works that you know you could compare to that genre that Warhol left behind for us and uh, another thing that your work reminds me of what what we can call street art or graffiti but it but it's much better fonts yeah and and you know because my actual craft is writing it's something that I pay like I mean I'm part of a Facebook group that literally just posts horrible fonts that are encountered in the wilderness so you you pay attention and then the number one rule is is it legible can people read it now they don't need to be able to see it from five miles away but you know if you, if it can't be read it's defeating the the purpose or it's venturing into another area of art that i'm not um quite there yet do you have i mean uh, you you I think you know all the people that you've made pieces of their quotes, right? You you know them. Yeah, I know most of them. There are a few who, you know, we haven't had as many encounters as others for sure. Um, so, but they're they're definitely people who have been to at least one adventure with me. Um, and whether or not they made it out unscathed is, you know, <laughs> it, it depends on the person. But it's very diverse. You have, I, I mean, every, and I like that. It, it There are uh, people of different colors, sexual orientations, people of different spaces in the line to heaven or hell. Um, so it, it, it's broad. It covers, if anybody tries to tell me that my show wasn't diverse, well, you know what? I have a one-way <laughs> ticket to the sun that I will... <laughs> produce for them now, let's let's learn a little bit about you you have one of those qs stories everyone has one but you have one of those didn't intend to move here but did you've been here uh, th- three years right almost four yeah th- three or four on and off and um i you know my story is one that i've submitted to the new york times um miniature modern the tiny modern love story and it's been rejected but i was visiting family in Aventura near Fort Lauderdale a couple of years ago. And uh, one day my cousin and her spouse at the time mentioned that they had been to this really weird thing many years ago and it's so right up my alley. And um, we kept, it was Fantasy Fest, that's what they were referring to. And we kept trying to make it down. So they must have told me on day one of Fantasy Fest. And every day we kept trying to drive down. They have a child. And so that really stimmied 
us getting down to Kiwas until it was the very last day of the of Fantasy Fast, which has the, the big sh- street parade. Um, and they said, listen, we can't take you down, but we know somebody with a questionable party bus that is going to drive down there for, you know, 12 hours. And so you leave at noon and you get back at uh, midnight and you depart from QS at midnight. And um, man, that bus was terrible. It leaked. There was a woman accusing a man of sexual assault. Like then the the pit stop at a Winn-Dixie, I think it was the one in Marathon that spiraled into like an hour and a half of nothingness. So we got there super late. And I immediately got off the bus, separated myself from these people who had a different concept of time management. And um, I eventually wandered onto Duval Street and I saw it and I was just like, wow, this is, this may not be the come all end all, but this was something I had never seen before. So it really made an impression on me in my 20s. And you've built a life here for yourself. You, you know more people than I do. I've been here for more than 10 years. You, you, um, you, you go to so many events. You're very outgoing. You... Um, are a writer, you've written for uh, Florida Weekly and uh, all kinds of publications, but you're based in Key West. And what, what, how has Key West shaped you or informed your, your work? Um, it really, it makes, it, as they say a lot, it, it chews you up and it spits you out. Like that is going to happen. It's going to chew you up. It's going to spit you out. And then you're going to have to decide if you want to stay or not. It's also very expensive there's a severe housing crisis this is probably one of the toughest places to make it as an artist um whether you look at it financially or you look at it from the perspective of have find being able to find your tribe um however it's also the it's one of the place where like you can run into cheryl tan at the key west lit seminar Mm -hmm. where you can meet award-winning filmmakers like Irina Patkanian who will volunteer their skill set to make a ridiculous <laughs> but beautifully produced short documentary for your show like it there have been so many like one in a million encounters that have happened in Kiwa so you know it, it shapes you to learn to spot opportunities I totally agree with that. I've seen the the mini documentary that that was made. It's wonderful. And yeah, I, I forget that, that I've met people here I never would have met anywhere else. And I mean, Judy Bloom runs our bookstore. Judy Bloom runs the bookstore. And, I, you know, I have never, I, have, I, I saw her a couple of weeks ago at a, um, a book reading that I went to for Cheryl Tan and Hillary Jordan's um, co-edited Anonymous Sex. And, uh, you know, she was sort of just there milling around on the second floor of the studios. Um, and there have been many other uh, really spectacular encounters. Now, is that enough for everyone to say? I certainly don't think so. But um, it is the thing that keeps me here for now, at least. Yes, it is. It is can be a wonderful place. But and I tell people that, you know, I I'm grateful I've been here. I've learned so much, but it is a tough place to pay the bills. And we all have three jobs. It's very tough. Uh, there's no dating. Um, I will I 
I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't think the town is particularly as LGBTQ as it was once. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I really don't do well in heat. So summer is just a, this festoon of of managing how much time you spend outside. But it was a great place to be during the pandemic. You know, yes. while yes, very lucky. you know. We were very lucky to to have essentially a little island to ourselves and 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 neighbors who more or less won't kill you right away, mm-hmm. you know. So th- we all got along, I think, for the most part um, during this like it's anomaly. This just came out of nowhere. Here we all are in tutus having a great time on December thirty first, twenty nineteen, and then bam. Mm-hmm just hits you like a Quentin Tarantino side plot. Yes, exactly. Now, uh, I wanted to ask about, I mean, um, what do you want people to learn from your show or take away? I mean, you're a showman. You're very, um, you know how to tell a story and you know how to throw a great party. But is there is there something you want people to, to walk away with? Something particular? Yeah. Get a sense of humor. Stop stop canceling everything that you don't agree with. Stop balking at things you don't understand. It's called life. There's seven going on, eight billion of us. You're not gonna get everyone, but it doesn't mean that the beauty of of their work or their performance or the, the words that are coming out of their mouth, that's not to diminish their beauty. It's, you know, we really need to, I, I think we have a way to go with pulling up chairs at the table for weirdos and 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 the obscene and the fabulously absurd. And I really hope that you know people come to the show and and they have they have fun. Mm-hmm. And they and they understand that it's not a highly intellectual response, but it is a fabulous reason to do something, especially in the arts, because it's fun. And chances are, if you see something that's fun, that person is also, you know, going to show you a good time. I like it. I like it. Kevin Assam, and congratulations on the show. You're, you're um, making your debut with the studios of Key West as an exhibitor. And I think that's great. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's um it's hard work. I will never read War and Peace, but I will put on a show at the studios of Key West. <laughs> I'm right there with you, sir. Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank. for listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the Studios of Key West. The Studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.